You're listening to the Inside the Mix podcast with your host, Mark Matthews. Hello and welcome to the Inside the Mix podcast. I'm Mark Matthews, your host, musician, producer, and mix and mastering engineer. You've come to the right place if you want to know more about your favorite synth music artists, music engineering and production, songwriting, and the music industry. I've been writing, producing, mixing, and mastering music for over 15 years, and I want to share what I've learned with you. Hey folks, and welcome back to the Inside the Mix podcast. If you are a new listener to the podcast, welcome and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And if you're a returning listener, welcome back. Now in this episode, slightly different to usual, it's a a new format that we've got running today. So I'm very excited to welcome our guest today, my friend uh, Violet. So Violet is a music producer seeking to specialize in synth metal and dark synth i heard metal or rather red metal there and it piqued my interest straight away as the audience knows i'm a big metal head um so what we're doing today is what's called a producer kickstart session so we're going to be digging into some mixing and music production bits and pieces with violet uh violet thanks for joining me today how are you hi hi thanks so much for having me uh, I'm, I'm doing great today fantastic and just for our audience listening can you just uh let us know where you're joining us from uh, yeah, I'm uh, a producer from Singapore. Fantastic. Yeah, the, the, I always ask this question because I, I chat to people all around the globe and it's pretty cool. I should get a map on the wall and put pins in everywhere that I've spoken to people oh, yeah. from because uh, I'm, get, I'm getting awesome. about now. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to yeah. do that, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I can make a note of that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> it's a... It's just huge. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, that's the great thing about it, you know. Um I'm chatting with yourself today in Singapore and I'm chatting with uh, Color Theory later in the States. And then I'm chatting oh, nice. with, uh, yeah, I know. And then I'm chatting with a few others in the UK and someone in the States again. Um, so, yeah, it's fantastic. You get to speak to people all over the place. It's brilliant. Um, so, as a producer kickstart session, uh, what I'd like to just dig in first is just a bit about your, where you're at, at the moment. So, we're going to be focusing on mixing today. So where you're at in terms of your sort of knowledge skill set at the moment with mixing and where you think you would like to be in six months? Oh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I think like, oh, in terms of where I am with my skill level, I'd say that like I can get a mix sounding like good enough for like the average consumer to just think, you know, hey, this is a, like it can it sounds pretty standard i'd say like mm-hmm. um you wouldn't hear I, I don't think at least that anyone would any average listener will be, be like complaining about specific issues when they hear it nothing's like standing out too obviously yeah um uh, but of, oh, also like there's also this co- sort of this issue of you being your own biggest critic and like i'm always like very critical of my own um quality and I'll always be fussing over the little details like, oh, no, did I get the balance right? Is maybe mm-hmm. the base a bit too weak in this or too strong in this? Or um, am I not, you know, in, in terms of mastering, it's always like an issue for me, um, yeah. which is kind of why I <laughs> I approached you for help for that, actually, for one of my upcoming yeah. songs. Yeah. So, like... Um, I guess in six months time where I'd like to see myself is um, I'd like to be able to have a mix that like I could theoretically be like pitching to bigger, like, like record labels and stuff and like be 
kind of reach that next level of quality where like even mm -hmm. those with the trained ear will have a hard time discerning like any faults of it in yeah. a sense and also possibly like reaching a level where i can even you know do my own masters at a more professional level yeah, yeah fantastic. i guess it's like my yeah 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 it's um they're great goals, to be honest. And I get what you mean with regards to good enough and, and being your, your harshest critic, because I think we all are our harshest critics when it comes to music oh, yeah, and music production, you know. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a tricky one with a good enough one because in mixing, it, it ties in with being your harshest critic in that you, there, there has to come a point in mixing where, you know, there, there is a boundary line where you think, I've got to put this mix to bed now. But at the same time, when you are your harshest critic, it's so hard to do. Because you're always trying to pick bits and pieces. Is there anything in particular in your mixing and your productions that you focus most on when you're criticizing your mixes? Right. Um, I think like the kind of the biggest issue that I struggle with a lot um, is actually like handling my bass. I mm. think it has to do with the fact that I don't really have the best equipment when it comes to like audio. Um, mm -hmm. Like I don't really have super. Uh, state-of-the-art headphones or like desktop monitors and things yeah. like that so like it ki i kind of struggle to like really hear the level of my bass as compared to like reference tracks and things like that and mm. i always find like one song i'll be like mixing the bass too low and then ne the next song to, to compensate for it like i end up going overboard with it and it yeah. becomes too thick yeah it's something that i'm never really like i'm always not really happy with how that part sounds yeah, that's the that's one of the trickiest parts, and it kind of needs on leads on nicely, rather. So you shared the song sort of vivisection with me, and I've, I've had a listen to it. And the notes I've made um, are primarily the ones I was going to focus on. We're going to be in that low end region, right? Um, and with bass, it is really really tricky if you haven't got the monitoring environment. Uh, say mon uh, monitors, it's it's hard because if you if you've got a home studio. A lot of the time, unless you're quite lucky in terms of you can build your own home studio to a certain specification, you're sort of working with what you have. And you're on not the back foot, but it's quite tricky to kick on from there. And then a good pair of headphones can sometimes help with that. Now, you mentioned there about your headphone situation. If you don't mind me asking, what headphones are you using at the moment? <laughs> oh, gosh, I'm a little bit like <laughs> uh, embarrassed <laughs> to even like uh, mention this. <laughs> I... uh, <laughs> like. I'm mixing, I mix all my songs in like a pair of like kind of cheap, like $50 Audio-Technica earphones. Yeah. It's not even a oh, pair wow. of headphones. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm trying to like work up the funds to upgrade. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. going to say, you say that, but I, I remember it where I had a, a friend and he, the, and he was mixing using Apple earbuds and because he got so finely attuned oh, wow. to the frequency, yeah, to the frequency response and how they, interacted with his music he was coming out with some fantastic mixes and it's interesting again that there was a conversation i had with don morley in episode 54 whereby we were talking about mixing environments and he was saying that you unless you're in a perfect optimum mixing environment you sort of begin you adapt to what you have and you start to learn the intricacies of the frequency responses of what you're using and then you you sort of you can create those mixes so i wouldn't be too perturbed about the fact that you've got the the cheaper side of headphones, I still think you can come out with good mixes using them. You've just got to learn to know where the where there's a there's a peak in the high um, 
in the high frequencies or there's a boost a bump in the low frequencies you sort of got to learn to tune your ears to to use those headphones so one thing i was going to say with regards to the low end in particular is now this is a tip i got from oh i can't remember the producer's name um but it was something i saw and he said uh, so you mentioned that you're using reference tracks so when you use a reference right. track are you doing it by ear which is great, which is what I'm an advocate um, for, or are you looking at the frequency content of that reference track as well? I tend to try to look at the frequency content. Um, and usually, like, I'll try to I'll use, like, visually, like, the frequency, like, the, the spectrum as, like, a guideline, but I tend to fall towards just using ear because I sometimes don't trust the visuals. Hmm. Yeah. Well, one thing I was going to say then is that's a really good thing to do. So it's great that you're doing that already in terms of your, oh. you're looking at the, the frequency content because there is a limitation to our listening environments if they're not optimum. And sometimes it is, or it is good to use a reference EQ and see, okay, so this is a professional radio friendly track. And I can see this, that particular bass region, whatever it may be. I don't know. You've got 80, 90, 100 hertz. I can see there's a, there's a bump there. So I'm going to try and match that. Obviously, what I wouldn't say is use something like match EQ and just match it like verbatim because that's probably not going to work. It's not the ideal thing to do. But it's great that you're doing that already because that's what I would say you need to do. So with regards to your bass, how are you sort of interplaying with the kick drum? Are you carving out space for the kick in the bass frequencies and vice versa? Is that something that you do? Um. I, I do like side chain my kick drum, but um, the way that I do it, which probably isn't the most, the best method, is I literally side chain it to like the whole bus of everything else. So everything ducks down when the kick comes in. I just personally like how that sounds. I don't know if that's uh, like more damaging to my mix or not. Um, yeah. <laughs> So just to clarify that, so are you side-chaining your kick to every instrument or are you side-chaining your kick just to the bass? We'll be right back. So I've got a hunch about a common struggle we all face, mastering. If you're an independent artist or music producer, you've probably encountered the frustration of masters that just don't hit the mark, right? They lack balance and refuse to play nicely across different devices and environments. Ever found yourself wondering, why don't my masters sound like my references? Perhaps you've spent countless hours attempting to master your tracks only to be unsatisfied with the results. Maybe you've tried every Silver Bullet plugin or even dabbled in AI. Or perhaps you're already working with an engineer, but you're eager to explore different possibilities. Well, here's the solution you've been searching for, Synth Music Mastering. I'm offering a game-changing opportunity with a one-time free test master for a limited time. Picture elevating your music with my unwavering commitment to quality and a personalized touch that you just don't get with the big mastering studios. The best part, it won't cost you a penny. Just submit your finished mix and let's see how we can transform your music together. Don't let mastering be a mystery any longer. Say goodbye to the frustration and step into a world of sonic excellence. Grab your free test master now, click the link in the episode description, or head over to synthmusicmastering.com. Every, uh, almost everything, yeah. Oh, wow, Minus okay. Minus a few, like, drum elements, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm that, that, what I'm going to say to that is there is no hard and fast rule. I mean, if it sounds good, 
then right, go right, with the golden rule. go with it, you know. Yeah. Um sorry about that. My computer screen just flicked off and it came back on again. That was very weird. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that threw me right <laughs> off. I don't I thought I'd lost everything then. Began to panic. Oh, that's um, like a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just went totally black. That was weird. Um but it's still recording, so that's good. So um yeah, where was I going with that? Yeah, yeah. I was um <laughs> talking about the um yeah, there are, no, there are no hard and fast rules when it comes to music. You know, if it sounds good and it adds to your track, then do it. Um, I did notice in that track. Do you side? You're, I mean, you're side chaining the guitars as, as well. I'm assuming then. Yeah, but pretty that, much right? everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, my my immediate response would be once again, this is my own personal opinion, is that. If I'm going to do that, I might vary the level of sidechain with the instruments. I don't know if they're all at the same level. Ooh. Does that make sense? Right. That does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just going to have that same level of pumping throughout the whole track. And if it's different for the different instruments, that could add a bit more interest throughout the track. That's going slightly off topic with regards to bass. Um mm. But sidechaining is good with bass. I mean, if you're sidechaining bass, you're making room for that kick drum to come through. <clears throat> I mean, another way you could do it is if you've got, I don't know if you've ever used a, a multi-band compressor or you have access to one. I have, and I don't have much experience with it. So I haven't really like been able, I haven't like really experimented with it enough. Um, I'm still trying to figure out how to use it. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, that's fine. That's fine. What I was going to say is with a multiband compressor, something like the Waves C6, others are available. Um, you can pick out right. the, the the specific frequency of the kick drum and just duck that frequency notch in your bass. However, that's from a mixing perspective. So if you want your bass, your kick drum to come through, poke through your bass, um, that would work. But if you're doing it from like a creative perspective, so you've got that pumping, then I would just stick with the whole of the bass being side-chained, if that makes sense. Right, I hope it right. does. Um, but one thing I would definitely look at doing is varying the levels of sidechain you've got going on with your instrument groups, just to make it a bit more interesting. I'm assuming you're, you're side-chaining your synths as well. Yeah, <laughs> everything right. is going into that sticker. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic excellent what about guitars do you I mean, are those vst guitars you've got going on there in that track yeah so like for the first track like that included guitars which would be the section at that point in time i did not yet have um i believe at that point in time i didn't have an audio interface so mm. i i just used like um a vst guitar coupled with a synth that i designed that I tried to emulate the sound of a guitar with. So it was like two uh, layers. Yeah. But it was cool. not a real guitar. No, that, that's fine. What I was going to say is, um, have you double tracked that guitar? Is it just one guitar? Is it left and right? I believe at that point in time, it was not double tracked. It was just stereo because of the way that I designed the synth. It was just like stereoized. I see, I see. Well, one one yeah. other thing I was going to say is, and um, this kind of plays into that low end again, is what you might want to consider doing, this is coming from my metal background now. So when I was playing oh. metal, we would double track guitars. We might have even quadruple tracked. I know Metallica did it on um, uh, the Black Album, but it depends on, on your overall mix and what you're going for. But double tracking guitars is a great idea. So you can have one hard pan left and one hard pan right. No, we did quadruple. No, no, it's double. So I did my my guitars and the other guitarists did theirs. But what I would uh, say is 
have on the left side, you have one guitar and on the right you have the other, but make them subtly different. So you might have uh, a slight treble boost in the guitar on the right, or you might have a slight low end boost in the guitar on the left or something along those lines. Because if they're the exact same, when you pan them left and right, you'll hear this There's an episode that goes out on Tuesday with Adrian Hall. And he says this, if you pan it hard left, hard right, and it's exactly the same, it almost, it doesn't, but it kind of almost sums to mono, if that makes sense. So you want to have those sort of variations in sound left and right. And it's the same with synths as well. If you're hard panning synths left and right, I don't know if you do that with your pads or do you have one pad down the middle or is it just a stereo pad? Pads. um, Usually when it comes to like my instrument arrangement, I tend to have different instruments in different parts of the stereo field. So I'd have, I'd probably have like my pads more on the left and then like something else more on the right. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what I was going to say is it kind of falls in line with pads as well. So you're already doing right. that, which is great, where you have those those different sounds, both left and right, because that will then enhance that stereo width that you have. Um, so it's good that you're doing that already. But what I would say is, if are you going to be tracking guitars? And if you, are you a guitarist yourself? Oh, yeah, yeah. Now I use real guitars in my songs. Oh, so, fantastic. Oh, no, yeah, I was just going to say that, like, uh, I'm definitely keen to do like tracking and stuff. I think like you did give me feedback for my other track that other time um, mm. about tracking, which I really appreciated. And like, it really did give like a lot of life to the, um, to the whole track as a whole. Yeah. So Fantastic. it's definitely something I'm playing with a lot. That's great to hear. So so going back to your, the, the, the bass region, because I'm, I'm aware of time. So with the bass region that you mm-hmm. have there, you have your bass, whether it's a synth, uh, like an ar- arpeggiated pattern or bass guitar or something like that. Is it just one bass or are you layering bass sounds? And do you use a sub bass sound as well? Uh, yeah, usually I will layer like a bass sound with a sub bass and then I'll cut out like the subs from the original bass. So oh, that fantastic. I'll have it like separate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's what my next question was going to be. So you're doing that already, which is great, because um, that, that's what I was going to say, because otherwise you're just frequencies on top of frequencies, and then you're overloading that that sort of frequency range right. there. So that's fantastic you're doing that. And then do you have any upper frequency content in your bass as well? And is it – actually, answer that one first. So your upper frequency content, do you have anything above sort of like the low mids, the high mids with your bass? Uh, typically, yes. I usually like – Intense, uh, intentionally like induce higher frequencies with like distortion or things like that just to like help it like pop out a bit i don't know if that's how you're supposed what you're supposed to do with basses but yeah no no once again it's i was just just intrigued to see or find out rather what you're doing in terms of your frequency content with bass up and down the spectrum and it's one of those once again it's there are no rules and it's kind of leads on what i was going to say next is with regards to the stereo width in the low end Anything below right. sort of 100 hertz, do you have it sort of like mono or do you have some sort of stereo spread? Have you got bass in the stereo spread below sort of 100 hertz? Yeah, I usually keep my uh, bass, my low bass, like as mono as possible. Like my sub mm-hmm. is fully mono and that's usually it's about there around like maybe 80 hertz and below is all mono. Not sure about 100. Maybe I should. Yeah. I probably should like keep that in mind next time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, to be honest with you, when I say a hundred, it's it's an arbitrary number. I was just picking one out right. of the air. So I mean, eighty. If eighty works for you, then then stick with eighty. 
But with regards to you, I know you mentioned earlier about saying that your bass sometimes you don't think it's loud enough or maybe it's too, and then you overcompensate in your next mix. It might be worth, once again, it goes back to saying there are no rules really, maybe trying what it sounds like with a slight stereo width in that low region. If, you've, if you're thinking, actually, you know what, this bass really isn't kicking through in my sub bass, maybe not sub bass, Oh, but your your lower yeah just try it um just try it out just not obviously like hard left hard right but just add a bit of width <laughs> to it and see what it does because it might just help it open up a bit more um when you're when you when you are do you say uh like a i always get them around the wrong way it is a high low no high pass filter do you high pass filter the low end sort of like to get rid of any rumble is that something that you do in your mixing um high passing probably not uh wait hold on I'm, i also get this mixed up a lot is yeah it the i one know where you cut away the highs or you cut away the no it's, it's the one away <laughs> yeah i know i always do it i, I did a i did a um a video last week and i had to second guess myself high oh, pass is where yeah i know is where you're only allowing the higher the pre the frequencies to the right come through so if you put a high pass filter right, right. uh 20 hertz yeah. anything above 20 hertz will come through yeah, so I definitely do that for my basses. I do that for like most of my of my audios of my instruments actually. And is that are you using a a shelf filter or is that a, a high pass? Sorry, a shelf, uh, not shelves. I mean a, a high pass. Like I completely cut out like the stuff that goes below. Also, not too sure if it's the right number. Probably eighty. Probably higher. Yeah. So. What I was going to say to that is this is something I learned from from chatting with Mike Exeter because I, I was of the mindset to do that myself as well. And it could also, when you are when you find that your low end is lacking in your mix, it could be worth looking at that high-pass filter and maybe switching it out for like a, um, a low shelf instead, which doesn't attenuate all the frequencies, but rather you could sort of attenuate, I don't know, 100 hertz, you might attenuate 5 or 6 dB instead. If that makes sense. That's a really interesting idea. I yeah, even because of that. No, neither had I. Because he put the point across was like that frequency that 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 sound is there for a reason. And when you send it to mastering, if there's nothing there, the mastering engineer hasn't got anything to work with. Now, it's not necessarily going to mix, or sorry, sorry, it's not necessarily going to work with everything. But if you are finding that you're it's lacking anything, maybe just try switching it out and putting a a. Um, what did I say? A low shelf in there instead, and then right. just just ducking it rather than a, a high pass filter and getting rid of it altogether. I hope that makes sense. I think it does. That does make sense. Yeah. Oh, Fantastic. That's like that does open up quite a few doors for me. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Well, by the way, that's 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 twenty minutes in now. So I hope that's been of some use to you. Um, I mean, I could I could chat about sort of mixing and all these bits and pieces all day, but I'm hoping that you can take something away from that there. From what I've said, yeah, definitely fantastic. And um, for our audience uh, listening, if they want to go and find out and listen to your music, where could they find you online? Right. Um, yeah. Thanks so much for uh, giving me this opportunity. Like, uh, uh, no problem. If if you'd like to find more of my music, you can find me at like I have this handy dandy link for everything. It's a link tree. So that's linktr.ee slash v-y-l-t music no caps no spaces or you can just search me up as v-y-l-t or violet um you'll probably find some of my pages somewhere uh yeah brilliant um thanks so much for having me on this on this uh episode
No, no, it's my pleasure. Thank you for joining me on this. I'll um, I'll put a link in the episode notes so the audience can go and click on that Linktree link and check out your stuff as well. Once again, a big thanks. Yeah, no, not a problem, not a problem. Um, And folks, if you want to be like my friend here, Violet, and become a producer kickstart uh, participant, go to the website www.insidethemixpodcast.podia.com forward slash free and get signed up and come join me on the show. We can chat about your music and... um, much like we've done today. So, Violet, a big thank you, and um, thanks for joining me on this, and enjoy the rest of your day. Oh, yeah, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Hi, I'm Chewy. I go by Chewy Beats, and my favorite episode is 66 because it showed me a new approach of writing lyrics, and hey, I'll try that in my next one. Whoa! Before you go, make sure to snag your free Test Master from Synth Music Mastering. Imagine enhancing your music with my steadfast dedication to quality and that personalized touch. And here's the kicker, it's absolutely free, no cost at all. Simply head over to synthmusicmastering.com or click the link in the episode description to claim your free Test Master.